Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Exodus chapter 1 beginning at verse 11. When you have it, won't you say, I got it. Amen. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, And therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Amen. That's enough. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject the baby's kid anointing. Amen. The baby's kid anointing. I promise it'll make sense in a minute. Father, thank you. Help us now in Jesus name. Amen. The baby's kid anointing. Dontre Hamilton, John Crawford III, Alton Sterling, Michael Brown Jr., Ezel Ford, Dante Parker, Tanisha Anderson, Akai Gurley, Tamir Rice, Remain Brisbane, Laquan McDonald, Jerame Reed, Tony Robinson, Philip White, Eric Harris, Walter Scott, Freddie Gray, Sandra Bland, Philando Castile, Jordan Davis, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner. These names represent 22 of the more than 140 unarmed black men and women who have been killed since 2012. To be honest, there are really countless names which are connected to countless stories of grief which stem from the curious and cold-blooded killing of men and women of color who were denied the basic opportunity to simply live their lives. Sadly, most of the perpetrators of these killings were never convicted of crimes, adding insult to injury for millions of African Americans across the nation as we come to grips with the reality that in the United States of America, in spite of the Pledge of Allegiance, there really is no liberty and justice for all. And while cell phones and social media give us the ability to now capture police brutality and the acts of hatred against black people in this country, those of us who are black know that the violence against us didn't just start with Trayvon. But whether it be the murderous Middle Passage or the treacherous Tuskegee experiment or the savage bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham or the murder of Philando Castile streamed on Facebook Live, 
Those of us who have to live in this colored skin know that we have been treated as an expendable ethnicity for a long time. And while other, uh, while other parents are giving their children the talk about the birds and the bees, we have to worry about teaching our children how to survive an encounter with law enforcement. While families of other ethnicities have the privilege of promising their children that if they go to college, they'll get a good job. Black children have to worry about whether or not they will be racially profiled by campus security or labeled by a prejudiced professor before they can even turn in a paper. And whether you want to admit it out loud or not, we all have to contend internally with the reality that there is, especially this weekend, a malicious and murderous spirit that has been loosed upon this nation. And maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but sometimes it leaves me wondering what in the world I'm going to do. And is there anybody here in the building that can be honest and admit that sometimes the circumstances of life, the situation that we live in causes us to wonder how in the world we're going to make it? What? in the world are we going to do? What are we going to do about racism? What are we going to do about economic disparity? What are we going to do about the problems that are so rampant and rushed in our lives? How are we going to handle it when it seems as if we live in an American system that is destined or designed rather to see our demise? How do we live when it seems like we've been set in the middle of a society that is set out, that is set out to kill us? How do we serve God when it seems like we're expendable and even our white Christian brothers and sisters don't want to hear us cry out that black lives matter? Is there any hope for me when I have to deal with racism and prejudice and intolerance and on top of that, I have to navigate the hell and high water that is a natural part of the Christian life anyway? How do I live when the affliction of life is trying to kill me? And I asked God this question while I was preparing for this message, hoping that I could hear from heaven something that would help us handle the harsh realities of our lives. And while I was praying in my quiet time with God, I heard the spirit of God say, y'all are like babies, kids. And I was confused at first, I'm going to be honest, because I remembered the movie. If you remember, Bebe's kids were unruly and misbehaved and rebellious and destroyed everything they touched. They came from a broken home where they were neglected by their party all the time, mother to be babysat by her best friend, Jamaica. And I'm wondering, God, what do you mean that we're like Bebe's kids? And as I was questioning God about what he was trying to show me, what encouragement he was offering me from this movie, I was reminded of something that Pee Wee, Bebe's youngest son, said while they were engaging in their reign of terror. Pee Wee, with his soiled diaper, declared, we're Bebe's kids. We don't die. We multiply, God help me. And I heard the Lord say, that's it. If you're going to navigate the affliction of life as an African in America, you got to understand that you have a baby's kid anointing. When my hand is on you, no matter what you face in life, no matter what the enemy tries, you will not die. God help me. You will multiply. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I don't care if it is racism, sexism, classism, trial, tribulation, pain, persecution, heartache, or headache. If you 
are a child of God. Y'all ain't helping me here. Affliction will not lead to your elimination, but the Lord will use it as a tool for your elevation. And this is the testimony of every blood-washed, Bible-believing Christian, especially if you are a descendant of Africans here in this nation called America. No matter what you face, because you belong to God, your affliction will not break you. That thing that was designed by the devil to destroy you will not work. Y'all ain't helping me. No weapon formed against you will be able to prosper. You've got a baby's kid anointing. In the midst of trouble, you will not die. You will multiply. God help me. And I don't know uh, if you get it yet, but God wants you to know that this situation that you're going through is not going to be the end of you. As a matter of fact, God is going to use it to make you better. This is for everybody who's going through something that is inexplicable, something that is without explanation, something that you can't understand, something that is frustrating the hell out of you. And you're wondering how in the world you're going to be able to make it. God told me to tell you it's getting ready to multiply you it's not going to decrease you you will not go down you will not diminish you will not drift into the negative but God is going to use the pain to make you prosper you've got a baby's kid anointing no matter what the enemy tries touch your neighbor and tell him you won't die God help me but you will multiply and I know it might sound a little funny but this is the message that is presented in this narrative that is before us in Exodus chapter 1 the Bible allows us to look in on a particularly dark part in the history of Israel. The Bible tells us at the end of Genesis that Joseph, after being sold by his brothers into Egyptian slavery, by the grace of God, rises to second command in the Egyptian empire. And once he is an old man and has reconciled with his brothers, the Bible says that he sends for his father and all of his family so that they can live in with him in peace and prosperity in Egypt who is in debt to Joseph because God used him to save them from a famine. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Joseph became like a father to Pharaoh. And because of this, the Bible says that for generations, the children of Israel lived in peace with the people of Egypt. But in Exodus chapter 1, after generations of peaceful coexistence, the Bible says that there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph and because he had forgotten his history he began to fear the might of the children of Israel and ultimately placed them in bondage but the Bible says that even though the Egyptians heavily oppressed the people of God and afflicted them with bondage the Bible says that the more they afflicted the children of Israel the more they began to multiply and I, be I believe that as we attempt to understand in this series what it means to be black and and Christian in the context of 21st century America we can see glimpses of our story as African Americans in the story of the children of Israel because the reality is for years for generations upon generations these modern day Egyptians have tried to marginalize and murder those of us who are black but in spite of what they've tried God has protected preserved and promoted us 
And this is the message of the text. Hear me clearly. The oppressor cannot kill you if God wants you to live. God, help me. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but aren't you glad that it does not matter who is planning your demise? If God has declared that you will live, then you will live and not die. And I want to pause here for a moment to encourage somebody who feels like they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, who feels like they don't know how they're going to make it. You actually have been tricked by the enemy into believing that this situation is the death of you, but God told me to tell you that you will live and not die. I got to move. Uh, so God then says that the more they afflicted the children of Israel, the more they multiplied and grew. And the first thing we have to understand is that there is a truth that we have to learn about our affliction. And number one, you've got to understand that the attack against you, hear me clearly, is not a punishment that you've earned, but rather it is a preview of your potential. Okay, let me run that back because you didn't hear me. I said the attack that you're going through is not a punishment that you've earned, but rather it is a preview of your potential okay uh, let me help you because y'all ain't feeling me yet the Egyptians recognized the threat that the children of Israel represented and so they tried to destroy them before they could reach their full potential as a matter of fact verses 9 and 10 tells us that Pharaoh looked out and saw the children of Israel and saw that they were mighty and so he wanted to destroy them with affliction before they could become who God wanted them to become and what you you got to understand is it is the desire of the enemy to destroy you before you actually manifest your purpose this means then that for some of us we are not going through hell because of something we've done wrong but instead we are being afflicted because the hand of the Lord is on us God help me I know you don't believe it because prosperity has your mind messed up prosperity theology has you thinking that the only reason you can suffer is if God is upset with you but the Bible tells us in Job that sometimes you are afflicted not because you were in sin but sometimes you are afflicted because you are chosen God help me touch somebody and tell me it's happening because you're chosen God tell them tell them tell them it's happening because you're chosen the reason why you're going through is because the hand of the Lord is on your life you're going through hell because the enemy is upset that God has picked you and he can't do anything about the predestination the choosing sovereignty of God. God's hand is on you and it's happening because you're chosen. This is why, beloved, I've got to learn how to praise God even in the midst of great affliction because sometimes the pain of my affliction is simply a preview of the purpose that God has on my life. Oh, God, help me. In other words, my pain is great. God, help me. Because my purpose is great. God, help me. Oh, God, I want to talk to everybody in the building that's going through hell. Now, this ain't for my sedity folk who try to come to church in front like you ain't going through nothing. Like all your bills are paid and you ain't never had to call JEA and make an arrangement and you ain't never had to hide a car from the repo man and your wife or your husband ain't never got on your nerves and your children are obedient and blessed all the time. But is there anybody up in here who can be honest about the fact that sometimes I've gone through embarrassing situations. I've had pain in my heart. I've had to deal with hell and high water and I wondered what was happening. God told me to tell you you're hurting because he's on your side. Your pain is great because your purpose 
his grave. Yeah, the attack against you is not a punishment that you've earned, but rather it is a preview of your potential. But then you have to understand that the enemy uses affliction to attack your identity. Yeah, he uses affliction to attack your identity, to disrupt your perception of who you are. The Egyptians knew that the children of Israel were mighty. But they afflicted them with bondage in the hopes that they never figured out that they were mighty. <laughs> and affliction messes with your identity because it causes you to ask the question, if I really am who God says I am, then why am I going through all of this hell? Yeah, uh, affliction makes you ask the question like Gideon. When the Lord showed up to Gideon while he was threshing wheat in his father's wine press in the book of Judges, Gideon says, if God is really with us, then where are all the miracles that our father spoke of? Why are all these things happening to us? Because affliction will cause you to question who you are in God. But no matter how deeply afflicted you are, you cannot allow your affliction to cause you to doubt who you are in God. As a matter of fact, liberation comes with identification. In other words, you can have freedom even in the midst of affliction when you know who you are. God help me. And at some point, you've got to decide who is going to have the final say on who you are. Your oppressor or your creator. God help me. Every day you wake up in the morning there are forces that are talking to you. There is a preacher that is vying for your attention. It is the preacher and the voice and the prophet of the oppressor but then it is the word of God who is on the other side speaking to you and every believer has to make a decision every day about who they are going to be. Are you going to be who the enemy says you are or are you going to be who God says you are? Are you going to take the identity that God has for you or are you going to take the identity that the enemy has for you and I need somebody in the building who is going to decide today that I am going to be exactly who God says I am I don't care if the enemy tries to diminish me if he tries to stifle me if he tries to disrupt me I decide today that I am going to be exactly who God says I am if God says I'm mighty it doesn't matter who says I'm weak if God says I'm prosperous it doesn't matter what my bank account looks like. If God calls me a homeowner, it doesn't matter what my credit score looks like. If God calls me married, it doesn't matter how frustrated I am in singleness right now. I am going to be whoever God says I am. But not only that, every child of God has to learn how to live in the tension of being afflicted and anointed. Yeah. Every believer has to learn how to live in the tension, how to balance the two realities that I might be afflicted, but I am also anointed. Yeah. Uh, the children of Israel, if you read the text, they were enduring intense persecution at the hands of the Egyptians. But the Bible never says that God removed his hand from them. They were still 
God's people. And this is where prosperity theology has crippled the church because it has eliminated our ability to deal with the inevitable reality of affliction. Because prosperity theology teaches us that if we go through hard times, it is because we are outside of the will of God or because we don't have enough faith. But the text suggests, and I believe that the overwhelming theme of scripture is simply this. It is sometimes the reality that you lack faith and that you are outside of the will of God. But it is more so the case that it is possible to be chosen by God, be dead center in the middle of his will and afflicted at the same time. It is possible to be obedient to God, to be serving him and to deal with intense pressure and heartache and heartbreak at the same time. This is why, beloved, as Christians, it is important that we be careful what we aspire to and who we admire. Because just because a person has more possessions than I have or a bigger name than I have, that doesn't mean that they're more blessed than I am. Because according to the Bible, blessing, the Hebrew word Baruch, is not a matter of my possessions but it is a matter of my position in God this is why I have to chase God and not possessions and platforms and prestige and people because if we've learned anything over the last few years from uh, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain and Robin Williams we've learned that it is possible to be rich and famous to have all of the things that we want and to still have a God-sized hole in our heart but at the same time we've also learned that I could not have any of that and still have God and I'll be all right because I've got God and God got me God's got me I I know uh, y'all don't like this kind of preaching because it's not promising you a house or a car or a man or a different circle of friends but some of us have to learn how to be satisfied with Jesus God help me some of us have to learn how to give God praise because he is with us and here is the lesson do not allow adversity to rob you of your identity as a matter of fact you should start telling every person who is judging you based on what they think they know about your situation don't be fooled by my present circumstance I'm still anointed even though I'm afflicted I'm still God shall God help me y'all ain't helping me in the building but is that anybody's testimony I've gone through but I'm still anointed I'm I'm still anointed. I'm I'm still God's child. I've gone through hell and high water. I've been broken. I've done some stuff in my past that I'm not particularly proud of, but I'm still, Lord have mercy, I'm still God's child. Is there anybody here who can say that? Matter of fact, just do me a favor. Don't touch your neighbor right now, but just touch yourself and say, I'm still anointed. Yeah, yeah, I did that. I did what you heard I did. I I messed up the way you heard I messed up. I'm I'm going through hell right now. I've jacked up my credit. I've made some stupid decisions. I've got written up on my job. I've been fired from that place I was bragging about working at, but I'm still because my anointing, my blessing is not determined by my possessions, but is determined by my position. I am God's child. Yeah. Some of us have allowed our affliction to make us believe that we are really less 
than what God says we are. Yeah. It's not just haters now. Right? As, as a matter of fact, uh, I can deal with haters. But sometimes I find myself beating myself up because of what I'm going through. Is there anybody here who can say I'm mature enough now to where I don't particularly care what people say? But sometimes when I look in the mirror, I'm condemning myself. I, I, I'm mad at myself. I'm doubting myself because of all the things that are happening to me. But God says your blessing is not determined by what you're going through, but rather it is revealed by the fact that I've kept you in spite of everything that you've gone through. That you are not blessed because you've never gone through. You've heard me say it before. Come on. Uh, you're not blessed because you're not going through. You are blessed because you've gone through and you're still here. And somebody in the building has to learn how to give God praise because you made it through a situation that was designed to destroy you. I know y'all are good Bible scholars and Sunday school graduates and you know this already, but you got to understand that the devil wasn't trying to make you cuss out your spouse. The devil wasn't trying to make you lose your temper. The devil wasn't trying to make you swerve off the road and regain control of the car. The devil's desire was to kill to steal and to destroy and if you're sitting in the sanctuary in your right mind today you ought to be able to give God praise because it didn't work God help me do me a favor I'm not there yet but just do me a favor nudge your neighbor and say it didn't work God help me the devil tried to kill me but it didn't work he tried to frustrate my purpose but it didn't work he tried to derail my destiny but it didn't work God then through the text, I'm almost done. God then through the text is teaching us that we will not break under the affliction of life. We have a baby's kid anointing. We will not die, but we will multiply. But if I can be honest, it's still hard to live in the reality of affliction. It's hard to have faith, to put a praise on it, to show up to church, to put a smile on my face, to tell my children it's going to be all right, to work through difficulties with my spouse, to go to school every week, to go to work every day, to try to do the things that I know I'm supposed to do when I'm frustrated with my life. And the question becomes, how do I live a life of faith in the midst of a life that seems determined to see me slain? How do I walk with faith in the era of Trumpian prejudice? How, how, how do I live my life when people who call themselves Christians seem apathetic to the struggle of African-Americans. How do I live when I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired? Yeah, how, how do I survive and live like a believer when everything around me 
is trying to kill my belief? And the answer is simply this. It is by deciding not to respond to life in my frustration, but remembering to walk in the baby's kid anointing. <laughs> the anointing of a survivor. Yeah. So then really quickly, I got three things. What does it mean? To have a baby's kid anointing. I got three and I'm through. <laughs> Number one, it means that no matter how heavy my burdens may be, my burdens will not block me from building. No matter how heavy my burdens may be, my burdens will not block me from building. I brought back up through the text. Look at what he says. Verse 10. It says, come let us deal wisely with them or else they will multiply and in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. Verse 11. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. But here, look at the text. It says, and they built. Okay, you missed it. Let me go back and read it slow. Verse 11. It says, therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. Period. And they built. Hold up. You mean to tell me that it is possible for me to be in bondage and still be blessed with the ability to build? God, help me. I, I, I need somebody to understand this. Uh, that when you have the baby's kid anointing, God, help me. God will cause you to be productive in situations that were designed to kill you. God, help me. God is going to allow you to build even in the midst of your heavy burdens. God, help me. Uh, I know you don't believe it, uh, but the Bible says that in spite of what they put on them, they were able to still build in their bondage. But wait a minute. I would not be true to the text if I did not point out that they were not building for themselves. They were building for Pharaoh. Well, well, Pastor Josh, they were building, they were productive, but they were productive for the one who was persecuting them. You can't weasel your way out of that, Pastor Josh. The text is clear that this was Pharaoh's city that they were building. But the beauty of the baby's kid anointing is that the enemy thinks that he's hurting you by giving you heavy burdens. But what he doesn't know is that while he is applying burdens to break you, he's actually allowing you to learn things in bondage that will bless you when God sets you free. God help me. Uh, uh, you're learning how to build in bondage and the enemy thinks you're building for him.
But what God knows is you're not going to be in bondage always. God help me. How were they able to build a temple in the desert and build a tabernacle in the wilderness and tear down Jericho's walls and rebuild cities? It's because God gave them skills in bondage that he knew that they were going to need when they finally got free. Do me a favor and touch your neighbor and say, you better stay on that job. Stay on that job for a little while longer because you're learning some things for Pharaoh that you're going to need when God finally sets you free. You heard me say a few weeks ago, things won't be like this. Always. You're not going to work for somebody forever. You're not going to be a slave forever. You're not going to be in bondage forever. But the blessing of bondage is that God allows you to grow and to learn while you're being oppressed. Something that you'll need when he finally sets you free. It means, number one, what does it mean to have the baby's kid anointing? I got to quit. Number one, it means that no matter how heavy my burdens may be, my burdens will not block me from building. But then number two, the baby's kid anointing means that God will use my tribulation as inspiration for my multiplication. God help me. Let me run that back. God will use my tribulation as inspiration for my multiplication. Look at verse 11 or verse 12. It says, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. The NASB says, the more they multiplied and spread out. Yeah. They were trying to kill them. But the burdens that they used to try to kill them actually made them spread out in the land. And you've got to understand that no matter where you are in life, no matter how hard you are being afflicted, every child of God has to develop the confession that is making me better. God help me. Uh, I don't care what you're going through. I know that's not, that's not very deep, but you got to understand this. Your affliction is making you better. Yeah, you're not going through it for no reason. You're not going through it just because, but God is using everything that you're going through to multiply you. Yeah, affliction. Yeah, <laughs> affliction is being used. To add to your life. This means that it is now possible for me to celebrate my sad situations and for me to forgive those who frustrate me because I understand that God is using those situations and those people who have frustrated me to turn me into the person that he wants me to be. And I don't know who's in the building today, but is there anybody who is able to look back over your life and to think about things that have frustrated you, things that have made you cry, problems that you've had, pain that was in your heart, problems that you've had to deal with, trials that you've had to face, tribulation that you've had to navigate. But when you look around and you think things over, it made you better than you were before. God help me. Y'all sleep in the building, but who in here can say, I'm 
I'm a testimony uh, that I went through hell and it made me better. The heartbreak made me more holy. The situation sanctified me. The trouble drew me closer to the Lord. It made me better. Tribulation will not kill you if you belong to God. So we are complaining to God, hear me, about our trouble. And God, I believe, is looking at us like this. You went through it, but did you die? God, help me. It happened to you. Yes, they left you. Yes, he cheated. Yes, she walked away. Yes, they were fake. Yes, it happened. But you're still here. God help me. Is there anybody here who can help me preach and say I'm still here. I I, I didn't die in my affliction. But it made me better. Now I know how to pick the right relationship. Now I know that I can't take every job that's offered. Now I know that I can't accept every door that is open to me. Because tribulation led to my multiplication. He increased me in my affliction. I got to move. I, I, I got more sermon than I got time. Listen. So, so the baby's kid anointing uh, means that my burdens will not stop me from building. It means that God will use my tribulation as inspiration for my multiplication. But then thirdly, and I'm done, having the baby's kid anointing means to walk confidently in the knowledge that God has a plan for his people's preservation. Even when Pharaoh has murder on his mind. God help me. Uh, uh, let me say that one more time. And I'm going to try not to shout. It, it means having a baby's kid anointing. Means to walk in the confidence. That God has a plan for his people's preservation. Even when Pharaoh has murder on his mind. Let me run it back because y'all ain't shout yet. Having the baby's kid anointed means to walk confidently in the knowledge that God has a plan for his people's preservation even when Trump, God help me, even when David Duke and the Ku Klux Klan, even when the corrupt police have murder, God help me here, on their mind. And I know y'all think it's too good to be true. Pastor, that's too clever. You isogeted that. You didn't pull that from the text. But let me help you. I brought back up from the Bible with me. The Bible says that Pharaoh, when he saw that affliction caused their increase, that he then began to speak to the midwives and told the midwives that if it was a boy child, Lord help me, if it was a brown skin male, God help me, if it was a young black man, then kill him when you see that they've come, when they come out of the womb, God help me. I ain't got time to touch that for all of my young black men, but you do know that something's been trying to kill you for a long time. It's not just black on black crime, white people. It's not just gang violence, and it's not just police brutality. There is something about the soul of a beautiful melanated man that the devil has been trying to destroy for a long time. They said that when a boy is born, Lord help me. Oh God, that's another message for another time. When a boy is born throw them into the river 
But if it's a little girl, uh, because we can admire their body, because we can sexually objectify them, because we can plant our seed in them and try to wipe out their race. If it's a little girl, God help me. Let them live and keep them enslaved. Lord help me. But kill, murder every little boy, even if he's just outside playing cops and robbers by himself. Murder the little boys if, if, because he's standing outside in New York City and you said he was selling cigarettes illegally murder the little boys God help me uh, because they're running down the street oh God help me and you're afraid of them because they're six foot three and 265 pounds but got the mind of a 17 year old child murder the little boys and while I'm at it if the women have too much mouth like Sandra Bland, kill them too. God help me. Uh, keep, keep the quiet ones. God help me. Keep, keep the ones that don't talk back. Keep, keep the ones that are respectful and look good to you when they're shaking their tail in music videos. But the ones that got minds and mouth, kill them. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm supposed to be talking about Egypt, not America. Uh, uh, Pharaoh had murder on his mind. But while Pharaoh was carrying out state-sanctioned genocide, the Bible says that God was working on Moses. God, help me. While Pharaoh had murder on his mind. Oh, God, you, you, you got to understand it now. Uh, the devil is busy. Yeah, that's true. But we must never allow ourselves to forget that while the devil is busy, God is already done. <laughs> you, you, you missed it. Uh, uh, the devil is working. God, help me. But God is finished. God, help me. There is a comma at the end of the devil's remarks. God, help me. But when God spoke, he put a period there. So you got to understand that you do not serve a reactionary and a passive God. God is never playing catch up with the devil. But the devil is playing catch up with God. And the devil will never be able to derail what God has already done. Because if you understand the chronological ordering of the text, the Bible then implies to us that while Pharaoh is commanding the midwives, Moses is already in the process of being born. That God God is delivering the deliverer while Satan is trying to kill the people the deliverer was born to deliver. That Moses was here when Pharaoh began to speak his word of murder over the people. And we have to rest in the reality that while the devil is plotting our destruction, God has already completed the plan of my preservation. I feel like preaching. Y'all looking at me crazy, but I've had a dance in my feet all week. Is there anybody here who can help me preach? for a little while and say it's already done Lord help me oh God touch your neighbor and say it's already done I know the devil is busy that's why you're crying that's why you're sad he's active and working but the Bible says that when Jesus got to heaven he's no longer standing but he is seated Lord help me oh God can I be theological for just a moment I don't want to be too deep and lose anybody but Jesus the Bible says in Hebrews that he is our high priest for 
for we have not a high priest who is not touched with the feelings of our infirmities. John then in the book of Revelation lets us know that heaven is set up like the temple. So Jesus beloved is in heaven in the temple but he is not standing like the priests on earth. He is seated. God help me. Now you have to understand that the Levitical law is very specific about how the priests are to behave. That the priests are never to be seated in the temple until all of their work is completed. And so the priests have been commanded that they cannot sit because their work will never be done on earth. But when John gets to heaven and sees Jesus the high priest the Bible says that Jesus the high priest is seated, God help me, at the right hand of the throne of God ever living to make intercession for us. Paul said that he's seated there which means that his work is completed. God help me. Oh Lord, that's why when he died the Bible says that before he commended his spirit to God that Jesus lifted up his voice and said to Telestai that is a Greek word that means it is perfected. God help me. Not just that it's finished because is there anybody here that's ever tried to cook before? You finished the dish but it wasn't perfected. You've completed a paper but got an F on that bad boy because it was done but it wasn't finished. But God says that when Jesus was on the cross he said to Telestai it is perfected. My work is already done and I want to encourage somebody that the devil is working but God ain't getting ready to do nothing. God is not getting ready to bless you. God isn't getting ready to come to your rescue. God is not getting ready to do anything in your life but you are already rescued. You are already blessed. You are already protected. It's already done. I feel it here. He says it's already it's already done. You've got a baby's kid anointing. God wants you to know that in spite of your problems, God help me, in spite of your pain, I got to quit now, in spite of your affliction, God's people are like baby's kids. Matter of fact, we're Yahweh's kids. We don't die, God help me. We multiply. And black people, if you look back over your history, you can see that whenever they killed us, we didn't just have funerals. We gave birth to movements. Because we don't die, we multiply. God, help me. Do me a favor now. Grab your neighbor by the hand and tell him we don't die, we multiply. You're not excited yet. So let me draw on my black studies education and give you a history lesson. They killed slaves on plantations across the South. But Nat Turner grabbed the rifle and gave birth to a nation. Because we don't die, God, help me. We multiply. They killed Nat Turner. But then we started the underground railroad because we don't die we multiply they killed Martin but they couldn't stop his
his dream because we don't die Lord help me we multiply they killed Malcolm but they couldn't mute his message because we don't die we multiply y'all ain't helping me yet they choked Eric Garner suffocated Sandra Bland broke Freddie Gray's spine shot Philando Castile Jordan Davis Mike Brown Alton Sterling Walter Scott Tamir Rice and Trayvon Martin but instead of running away in fear we took to the streets and cried black lives matter because we don't die God help me we multiply y'all ain't shouting yet can I give you one more there was a black man named Jesus who was walking unarmed down the streets of Palestine they hung him high they stretched him wide come on Mike let's have church he dropped his head and for me he died but early yes God on a Sunday morning he got up from the grave and now there are men and women in churches all over the world united by the blood of Jesus because when black folk die we don't die we multiply is there anybody here I said is there anybody here in the building today that can say I'm going to live and not die because I've got an anointing on my life that will cause me to bounce back touch your neighbor and say it won't be like this always but the more the devil tries to break you the bigger you'll become the devil thinks he's breaking you down but the Lord is building you back up look at somebody and tell them you won't die you will multiply lift up your head oh ye gates and be lifted up ye everlasting door and the king yes God the king of glory shall come in who is yes God the king of glory the Lord strong and mighty the Lord yeah mighty in battle is there anybody here who can say I will live and not die in spite of my problem I will live and not die in spite of my pain I will live and not die ain't God alright is there anybody here that's glad that I will live and not die shoot me with your best shot fire away because I will live and not die I am a child of God is there anybody here who's glad about it that you are a child of God you slept around you were out in the streets but you're a child of God you were judgmental and a church gossip petty and rude but you're a child of God you were disrespectful a mean teenager but you're a child of God is there anybody here that's glad that you're under under the blood that you are a child of God what can wash 
nothing but the blood, the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Precious is that flow that can make me white as snow. No other. The blood of Jesus. I'm sorry, y'all, but I done messed around and got happy. Is there anybody here who's glad that in an era of mass shootings, in an era of prejudice, in an era of hate, in an era of pain, in an era of division, the word of the Lord is you won't die, but you will multiply. I said you're going to multiply. I said you're going to multiply. I said you're going to multiply. Let's have church for a little while. Grab your name. Take them by the hand and say, neighbor, you're going to multiply. You will live and not die. I said you will live and not die. No matter what's happening, God is getting ready to take you to another level. He's going to increase you in the midst of your affliction. You won't die here, but you will. You will get better. Is there anybody here who understands that God will take you higher? He's getting ready to open up doors that no man can shut. He'll make ways out of no way. Ain't God all right? Do me a favor for the last time. Take your neighbor's hand. I said, take your neighbor's hand. Look him in the face and say, neighbor, I know you're wondering how we're going to make it. I know you're wondering how the law is going to take your father. But I got good news for you. We're going to make it the same way we've made it. You're going to make it the same way we've been making it. Pastor Josh, how have we made it? I knew you were going to ask me because y'all are young millennial church. But can I tell you how the old church would say that we've made it? We've come this far. We've come this far by faith. Leaning on, leaning on the law. Trusting in his holy word he never failed he's never failed me yet is there anybody here that has it in your spirit well help me preach for about 15 more seconds and say oh 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 can't turn around we've come this far we've come this far by faith is there anybody here You've come this far. Yeah! You've come this far by faith. Yeah! Yeah! 